Welcome to the Startup Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Nick O'Neill, and this is episode number 17. Today I'm speaking with Nir Eyal, the author of Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products. We discuss why habits are critical to growth and how the Hooked model can be used to take your product to the next level. I'm really excited to have Nir on, so let's get started. How's it going, Nir? Hey, Nick. Good to be here. So you want to quickly say you wrote this book, Hooked. Is that what your focus is around right now? Right. So uh, I used to be, actually, the way we met was at my last company, Ad Nectar, which was at the intersection of gaming and advertising. And uh, after that company wound down and was acquired, I had some time on my hands and I really was fascinated by this question of how products form habits. And so I had this hypothesis going into what I was what I thought would be my next company. I was looking for what my next business to start would be. And I had this hypothesis that habits were going to be a really, really big deal. And so I wanted to, you know, I had seen lots of companies as I'm sure you did as well. I remember we, we chatted about some of these companies that in the early days of the Facebook platform would you know, get real big, real fast. They'd figure out some really you know, new uh, viral channel and then they just die, right? They would fall off a cliff because they didn't have very good retention numbers. And so I really became obsessed with what is it that gets people to stick around? How do you build habits into your products? And and I also saw at the time that mobile was becoming an increasingly important way to interact with our technologies. And, you know, what's obvious about mobile is that the screens are so much smaller as we move from desktop to laptop and now mobile and very soon wearables, we just have less real estate to trigger people. And that means that habits are going to become increasingly important for the way we interact with technologies. And so I really wanted to figure out how do you crack that psychology of what makes a product habit forming. So how do you crack it? Well, so that's what I spent the past three and a half years looking into, answering my own questions around this, but uh, it turned out that other people were really curious about this as well. And what I discovered was that studying the companies that I most admire, the companies that seem to create user habits relatively quickly, you know, span of five to 10 years. If you think about products like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat and WhatsApp and Pinterest, I mean, these companies all came out of nowhere. And even on the enterprise side, I mean, Slack just raised at a billion dollar valuation, fastest growing enterprise company in history. These guys are masters of habits. And so it turns out that what we find is endemic to all these products, the model, the the pattern that we see repeated time and time again is that these products have what I call the hook. Now, the hook is an experience designed to connect the user's problem with your solution with enough frequency to form a habit. And it's through successive cycles through these hooks that customer preferences are shaped, that tastes are formed, and that these routines take hold. And so we can talk more about the specifics of the hook model, but basically the hook comes down to these four basic steps of it starts with a trigger, an action, a reward, and an investment. Okay. And so, you know, before we actually jump into that model, one thing I'm actually, I'm curious about is, is it dangerous or do you think that these companies, the ones that you've mentioned, when they were designing the product, obviously they invested in coming up with a great designed product. But do you think when they went in thinking about this, that from the onset, it was around how do I create behavior change or develop these habits? There's simple things like notifications to re-engage people and emails and other stuff, which is fairly common in product design today. But in terms of your model, do you think it's 
I don't know. I wonder if it's a risky thing to look back at these companies and see how they fit through that lens versus how do you approach from the beginning right. with, with this in mind, I guess. Yeah. So we know that for these companies to survive, habits are an imperative. That these companies that I just mentioned, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, these companies, their business model depends upon habits. They depend upon unprompted user engagement. Because if Facebook had to send you an ad every time to bring you back, that would be very expensive, right? They couldn't be in business if they required to pay for something to bring you back time and time again. And of course, they, if they spammed you time and time again, every time to bring you back again, like that, that wouldn't be sustainable. So uh, these things are things that companies can use. They're called external triggers in, in my framework. Um, we have to use those to get people to start through the hook model. But the idea is that eventually people don't need these external prompts anymore, that eventually you begin to form associations with these situations or emotions in your life and you use these products with little or no conscious thought. You use them without really thinking. And it turns out that these products' business model depends upon habits for their viability. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, Pinterest, these products couldn't survive without habits. And so until now, people have stumbled into that imperative, right? They know that engagement is super important. I mean, you remember back when Facebook first started out and what people were so impressed with was their unbelievable engagement rates, right? The the fact that 50% of people who had started using Facebook, had registered for the site, used it every day. That was a very big deal. That was an unprecedented figure at the time. So, you know, that's what impressed people. That's one of the reasons that uh, Facebook's early investors jumped in was because these engagement rates were so high and they became such important facets in people's lives. Now, until now, that's been something that people have kind of stumbled into through trial and error by testing their way into these products. Now, what's happening uh, more recently and, and, you know, the fact that the hook model that that I've kind of developed here and codified has been around for maybe like a year, year and a half. Now we're starting to see companies deliberately using the hook model to build new products. And we can talk about some of those products. I mean, some of the products that I invest in as an angel investor, I, I look for these hook models and people who have... Uh, either really good hooks or have built hooks from scratch uh, knowing this model. So it's kind of like the lean startup movement that, yeah, people were using lean methodologies for a long, long time before anybody, you know, codified it and called it what it is. And Eric Reese and Stephen Blank talking about these techniques, you know, it used to be just called talking to your customers or agile development or, you know, talking to people to, to build better products. But then when we codified it and we made it into a process, now it could be something that made startups less of an art and something that you just get lucky doing and more of a science. And so that's really what I'm trying to bring to the field. Got it. You know, I have a lot of questions about that, but let's step back for a sec. When we spoke earlier, you were mentioning, you know, how this model applies to growth specifically. Right. Let's uh, talk about that before we actually jump into the model itself. Sure. So there's a lot of reasons that habits matter for the bottom line that habit forming products do a lot of things really really well among them you know there's there's a bunch there's the fact that uh, we have greater pricing flexibility once people form routines around a product a customer who's habituated has a higher lifetime value right the longer we use a product the the more frequently we use it the more valuable the the customer becomes to the company habits also increase defensibility that uh, the more people use a product with little or no conscious thought the less room they give to a competitor who might come in and sweep that customer away And then finally, when it comes to growth, to your question around how habits uh, impact growth, 
Well, we know that you know, everybody wants their product to go viral in Silicon Valley. Everybody wants uh, viral, viral, viral. But what turns out to be just as important as straight virality is a short viral cycle time. Now, viral cycle time is the amount of time between a transmission. So one person telling one or more people about a product. And so even if your product is by definition technically viral, if that transmission occurs once a year, it doesn't really matter, right? Like you're never going to get that hockey stick growth that people really want. I mean, that's really what people want for virality is not, hey, congratulations, your product is viral by a technical definition. But what we want is growth, of course. And so what matters is not just that your product is viral, but the fact that that viral transmission time occurs very quickly. And so what we find is products that are used habitually, if you think about how frequently we use a product like Facebook or Twitter or Slack or any habit-forming product, the products that we use on a daily basis or even intra-daily basis, that allows an opportunity for a very short viral cycle time. So it's these products that we use frequently and habitually that then we can transmit to more people. Got it. What would be the example of you know strategies used to reduce the viral cycle time or it sounds like inherently what you're suggesting is is a product which creates habitual use ultimately has a lower viral cycle time right so i'll give you an example so uh, i just spoke in front of a conference of 700 real estate agents and they called me in because they had read my book and they wanted to figure out hey we want to make buying and selling a house viral I'm sorry, habitual. We want to make a habit out of buying and selling a house. And I stood up in front of them and I said, you're never going to do that because buying a house is not a habit, right? The definition of a habit is a behavior done with little or no conscious thought. Well, buying a house is the exact antithesis of that. It's a lot of conscious thought around buying a house and it's something that does not occur very frequently. So frequency is a prerequisite for creating these habits. So instead of, of building a habit around buying a house, which is never going to happen, that's something that happens every five to 10 years, I don't know, you know much, uh, you know, not frequent enough to form a habit. Instead, what I tried to influence the, the real estate agents to consider is what other behaviors can they encourage, can they, can they create a habit around to bring people back so that when the buying decision does come about, now the customer refers to them out of habit. So for example, one real estate agent after she took my workshop came up to me and said, look, I'm gonna make a habit out of every time my potential customers feel stress about finance. Guess who they're gonna call? They're gonna call me, they're gonna come to my website, they're gonna check out my newsletter because I'm gonna be the salve for this pain point, this itch around concern over money. So engagement, it turns out, is what we need as a prerequisite for monetization. Eventually, if people are checking in as opposed to just checking out, right, just buying the product and leaving, the new model for these habit-forming products is engaging people with enough frequency so that when the monetization opportunity comes about, they're habitually engaged. They turn to you as that solution. Yeah, I mean, the other one that pops into my head regarding real estate would be the habit of just checking out houses, which is something, right. something that I'm, I have the habit of. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So it's so yeah. Exactly. So you would you you have this pleasure or this uh, itch around. Hey, what's going on? What are the prices? What's that house worth? What's this house worth? And maybe you're turning to to Zillow or Trulia or, what, or any of these sites, and that becomes this new habit, uh, which eventually, when you're ready to buy, hopefully that you will buy, you will transact through one of these sites. Definitely. Okay. So we've discussed viral cycle time, how that's important to growth, and some approaches, in this case, in the real estate space of what would be the best use case of 
habit forming. Right. There's one more thing, just real quick, that I forgot to mention around uh, why habits are important to growth. Because you know, you got to remember that growth on its own is not enough. That you know, great, your product is super viral and you've got a million downloads. But if nobody sticks around, then your user numbers don't go up. Right. Like getting people to install your app is great. But if they don't use it, then, you know, they just churn out. So, you know, growth without retention is meaningless. Each is necessary, but not sufficient. So before we actually jump into the model, you know, one other question, which is just sticking in my mind here is is about, okay, I get it. Like you want to have a habit forming product. You want to have something that and I feel like the core of that, the core of the habit forming product is some feature which provides immense utility to the end user value. And so uh, for in the case of Facebook, that turned out to be photo sharing. In the case of Snapchat, I actually, I, I don't know what the key, uh, well, I know what their feature is, which is uh, photos that disappear. But whatever that feature is, I feel like that yeah. ends up becoming the core medium or tool through which the habit is formed, no? Right, well, let, let me uh, expand on it a bit. So it's not that products are just good at providing utility. There's more to it than that. And what the, the, the secret here is that there's a hook. And so it's not just photo sharing on Facebook. It's the fact that, fo- that Facebook uses this four-step model of a trigger, action, reward, and investment that brings people back. So let me just talk real quick about what this hook is, because I think it'll, it'll uh, illuminate, I think, why it's more than just the utility that's provided. It's not good enough to just be a solution to a problem. There's more to it than that. And in fact, you know, part of the cold, hard truth about Silicon Valley is that many times the best product doesn't win. That many times it's the product that can form the stickiest habit that wins. And so here we go. Let's talk about this hook. So the hook starts with a trigger. A trigger is something that tells the user what to do next, and there's two types of triggers. The external trigger is something that gives the user explicit information for what to do next. So click here, buy now, a friend telling you about a great new app. These are all external triggers. We know all about those, right? But what product designers don't think about enough and what's absolutely critical to forming these long-term habits is creating an association with an internal trigger. An internal trigger is a situation, a place, a person, and most frequently an emotion that tells the person what to do next. And this information for what to do next is not explicit like it would be with an external trigger, but instead it's informed through an association in the user's mind. So it's some piece of information that the user has stored in memory for what to do next when they experience a certain emotion, a certain situation, a certain routine. And most frequently, these internal triggers come from negative emotions. So when we're feeling lost or bored or indecisive or uncertain or lonely, when we feel these internal triggers, we form mental associations for what to do next with that itch. So we're feeling lonely, Facebook. We're uncertain, before we scan our brains, we Google it. When we're bored, YouTube. Pinterest, whatever it might be, that we form an association with what provides that solution. Now, that's the promised land. The promised land of a habit-forming product is to create that mental association with this pain point that we are not even conscious of, that with little or no conscious thought, when we feel of these internal triggers, boom, we're checking our devices, we're checking our app to provide the solution to this problem. Then comes the action phase. The action phase is the simplest behavior done in anticipation of reward. It's something as simple as scrolling on Pinterest 
or pushing the, the play button on YouTube. Uh, very, very simple actions in anticipation of reward. So, you know, the design aesthetics around simplicity, the reason these things work is because they make the action phase as easy as possible to get to the reward. The reward, and typically a variable reward, is where the user's itch is scratched. It's where the user gets what they came for. And it turns out that an element of mystery, a bit of variability, is at the core of all sorts of habit-forming products. And this comes from the psychologist B.F. Skinner that work around variable reinforcement. So we see in all sorts of experiences that are most habit-forming, we see this element of variability. And there's these three categories of rewards of the tribe, hunt, and self that we can get into. It's kind of a deeper discussion. And then finally, and perhaps most importantly, is the investment phase. And this is why it's not good enough just to give someone a standard feedback loop, right? There's more to it. This investment phase is critical because investments after the reward do something that is, is the opposite of what a lot of designers think is the golden rule of good design these days. Make everything simple, right? Simple, simple, simple. Well, in the action phase, that's correct. But in the investment phase, if you don't ask your customers to invest, you're missing a huge opportunity. Here's what the investment phase does, as long as it comes after the reward. The investment phase is where the user puts something into the product, some bit of effort into the product, in anticipation not of immediate gratification, but instead a future reward. And the reason for the investment phase, the reason these products have investment phases built into them, is because they increase the likelihood of the next pass through the hook in two ways. Number one, they load the next trigger. So if you ask a customer to do something after the reward that they themselves load the next trigger to bring themselves back to the product to go through the hook once again, that is a form of investment. So for example, when I send someone a message on WhatsApp, there's no immediate gratification. I don't get any points. I don't get any badges. Nothing really happens. What I'm doing is loading the next trigger in anticipation of a future reward because someone's likely to write me back. And when I get a reply... I loaded the next trigger, this external trigger, this little notification jewel icon that brings me back to the hook again. And then finally, the second way that investments increase the likelihood of the next pass is by storing value. And this is a big deal. One of the reasons I like working in tech products is because unlike things made of atoms, things in the physical world, these things depreciate with time, right? They lose value. But habit-forming products should do the opposite. They need to appreciate so the more data I put into a product, the more followers I accrue, the more reputation points I get, the more content I add to a product, or the more skill I accrue based on using this product, the more valuable that product becomes to me over time. So yes, Facebook became a habit-forming product because photos were such a big deal, but it's the fact that people stored value in Facebook Right? The fact that they put photos in, that they were able to like those photos with just a, a quick click, the fact that, that these investments be tailored their future news feeds for them based on the data that they were giving the company, that is a brilliant application of this investment phase. And we see it now repeated in all sorts of habit-forming products. So there were so many thoughts that, that popped in at that, that <laughs> Sorry, moment. Sorry, that was kind of a long... Uh... <laughs> you know, one thing that I was just thinking about, which is totally tangential and unrelated to uh, marketing in this case, was about the Facebook photos. If you're making the investment, it's become so common. And with digital photography, it's become so common just to take snapshots of every moment 
that right. I wonder if actually like that's even diminished the value of memories, but that's more of a philosophical conversation. I feel like, <laughs> um, so, so we don't need to dive into that right now. It's an interesting one. But the, uh, the other thing that I was wondering about was you mentioned messaging and you actually mentioned WhatsApp. I'm now trying to think of products through this model. And mm-hmm. I feel like with a messaging app with WhatsApp or whatever it may be, it almost like requires the investment up front. Like, how do you provide that? What's the reward that you get from, like, you don't get a reward from downloading WhatsApp, I feel like, it, unless with the exception of, I mean, it used to be free international messaging was sort of, uh, I guess, the key value there. But let me clarify that um, these hooks don't start, or very few companies' hooks start at the download phase. That downloading an app is not a habit, that's a one time behavior. That's, so I, I bucket, when I look for a product to invest in, right? When I'm, when I'm angel investing and I look at a company, I look for three things. It's called GEM. I know Phil Libin talked about this and I've seen it a few places. No, nobody uses the same language, but basically it's the same thing of every startup needs these three basic things of growth, engagement, and monetization. That's what I look for in GEMs, growth, engagement, monetization. Everything that I talk about in this book and my work over the past few years is just about engagement. Growth is its own problem. Right? It's its own pillar that's required. It's necessary but not sufficient. And monetization is the same thing. Right? So when I look to invest in a startup, they need at least two of the three and a plan for the third. No startup has all three or else they wouldn't be a startup. They'd be a, a, a validated business. So downloading an app is a growth problem. That's an onboarding challenge. Engagement and where these hooks play in is how do you keep people using the product after they've downloaded it Right After they start using the product, the very first hook they pass through, how does that keep them coming back? Okay, so I'm not speaking necessarily about the, the download moment, but even for WhatsApp, I download it, and then I install it, and my contacts are on there, and mm-hmm. I'm not doing anything. Is that not part of... So you're saying your model starts after they've taken the first, like the first trigger? Right, it, after they've been onboarded. So with WhatsApp's case... It might be that your friend sends you a message, and that will be an external trigger, right? The external trigger will be a little notification that says, hey, Nick, you got a message from Nier. Well, the action there is to open the app, right? So you, you click on the notification, you open the app. The very, what could be simpler, right? The very, very simple action done in anticipation of reward. Why do you do that? Because you're curious, right? There's variability about what you might find in that message. It's called a reward of the tribe. It's from somebody you know, someone you care about, someone you affiliate with, and you want to know what's in the message. That's the variable reward. There's a bit of surprise, a bit of mystery there. Now, the investment is to then reply back. It could also be adding a new friend, It could be where you position that app on your phone home screen, right? If it becomes more important to you, now you're putting it on, you know, the the main, your home screen as soon as you see it. It could be uh, customizing your profile. It could be adding other pieces of data to your your app. Or it could be the kind of content you add to it that you perhaps want to save. If you you share certain pictures with a certain group that you want to save in that app, that could be a form of content that you're adding to that, that app. But probably the biggest form of investment is the other people you add to that app. The fact that you're taking time to say, Nick is my friend and Ryan is my friend and Joe is my friend and, and we all want to create this little group together. That takes work in anticipation of a future benefit. You're storing value. Got it. Okay. So we've gone through what the 
hook model is. I, I want to go into detail on at least one product here and how, how it's viewed through this lens or mm-hmm. how your hook model would, how you would think about things, I guess. Sure. So we mentioned earlier Product Hunt, which you're also an investor in. I'm a big fan of Product Hunt and I'm thinking about uh, how, it, for me, from what I observed, I just figured community was the primary thing that drove the success of Product Hunt. But what I'd be curious about is like, how would the hook model, how would you view Product Hunt? Right. So I'm a big fan of Product Hunt and uh, Ryan Hoover was my co-author on the book. So um, he knows the hook model better than anyone second to, to me, I guess, because he was a huge part of, of uh, making the book happen. Uh, and at the time he wasn't working on Product Hunt. And then after he finished the book, uh, I told him, you know, I, I, I love Ryan and I, I told him I'd invest in whatever he decides to build. But then I was super excited that when he started Product Hunt, uh, because it has a, a very solid hook to it. Um, so product hunt for those who, who don't use the product, it's basically the, the place to go to for what's new, right? New products that uh, you might be interested in. And so they're, they're expanding from that vertical, but that's really their, their mainstay now is, is, uh, new apps, new services, new technology products. And so the, the internal trigger, well, so let's start with the external trigger. So the external trigger, as you mentioned, Nick, is, is this email. So you get this daily digest email and every time one of your, uh, friends, uses the product and uploads uh, or submits something to Product Hunt, you get a notification as well. That's the external trigger. The action is to open that, uh, that email. The variable reward is what you're going to find in that email. There's variable rewards around tribe and hunt. There's three types of variable rewards, tribe, hunt, and self. With, with, in the case of Product Hunt, I think it's, as you mentioned, it's rewards of the tribe. It's this community aspect. Uh, but then it's also rewards of the hunt. It's this search, right? It's product hunt. That's uh, you know, it's a big part of the search for the next cool thing. And so if you, if you click on the email or if you click on, on uh, something within that email and you're taken to the product hunt homepage, it's all about scrolling through all these interesting new products and finding the cool ones, right? There's this search, there's discovery, there's this variable reward about what you're going to find. Some of the products are going to suck. Some of the products are going to be amazingly interesting. And then of course, there's a community elements of people talking about those. There's a lot of variability about the comment sections and people you know, people you might not know. There's a lot of um, VCs and uh, entrepreneurs on the platform, which is cool to see. And then the investment is when you submit something yourself, or when you upvote something, or when you comment on something, you're storing value in the system, right? You're giving Product Hunt data about your preferences, which they can use, then they haven't done this yet, but they will start tailoring the system to your tastes. And of course, when you give them your social information, so when you log in with Twitter or Facebook, now they know every time one of your friends posts to Product Hunt, now they can load the next trigger based on sending you an email that, hey, Nick just posted a product to Product Hunt, and of course, you're going to get an email and notification in, in, the, uh, in the Product Hunt app that they, they, they released not that long ago that brings you back to use the product in the future based on the data you've submitted. Yeah, so I guess the investment side uh, makes sense. What was the, so you said the trigger and the action, you, you, you flew through those. Oh, sorry. What, what, what was the trigger and the action? The trigger is the email, the email that, they, that you get. So the, the email that the investment then loads I see what for you, saying. right? So that gives you the you know they have an email that's a daily digest of the the hot products for the day. So that would be an external trigger, and then of course you get notifications when some one of your friends uh, posts something 
to, to Product Hunt as well. And then the action is the open, right? It's the simplest behavior and anticipation of reward. In this case, it's open and start reading, start scrolling through that email. Now, over time, we talked about the external trigger was the email or the notification. Over time, and, and the reason there was just a, an article posted on Forbes about uh, something to the, uh, the author wrote something like why product hunt is so addictive. That was kind of the headline. I, I think I butchered it a little bit, but that's basically what, what the headline said is because what people find is that over time, they start using product hunt when they're bored. They start using product hunt when they've got, you know, five extra minutes and they, and they want to be entertained. And this is how they like to be entertained is to figure out what's new and hot in tech. So you see product hunt has formed an association in the user's mind when you're bored open the app, right? Log in to Product Hunt. Got it. So that definitely makes sense. And that is the time that I use Product Hunt. Um, <laughs> so I wish it was more of a habit, but it, it is at, at random. So, well, I guess it is a habit, but just a random habit. Okay. So that makes a lot of sense. I, I guess the area where I get hung up is, is I'm like, well, how did we get the people there in the first place? But that's not what your framework is about. Right, so, right. Uh, <laughs> it's it's its own. You know, I'm not I'm not a growth expert per se. I really try and focus on engagement. And there's lots of people you've had on your show that are much better at at growth and traction and, and getting people to use the product in the first place. But my my area of expertise is is really around engagement. Got it. So once we've sent all those annoying emails to get people to respond or posted ads places or done whatever it may be to get them there in the first place we now switch over to the hook model uh, to get them staying there. Yeah, well, I, I would hope that, uh, actually, I, I would advocate for first making sure you've got a good hook in your product before you start spending all that money to drive people to, to use a product that they you know, would have a, a very uh, low chance of actually sticking around in. So I, I would say first figure out your hook. That should go into your MVP and, and then proceed. That makes a lot of sense. All right, well, we've run out of time here. I greatly appreciate you taking the time to come on today. My pleasure, Nick. Listeners, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this week's podcast. And I look forward to seeing you next week.